coincidence, Doug. You know who uses the word coincidence? Unbelievers. Just think about that one for a second. So, uh, yeah, I'll start off this morning with asking you a question and getting your answers, and I don't know what I'm going to get, but I know I could probably get into a theological trap here, but just simply ask, what do you think makes God angry? And I know first you're going to say sin. Yeah, I get that. But what do you, what do you, what do you just think just bothers him? Yeah, Matt. Pride? That's, <laughs> it's like the, the foundation of sin, isn't it, really? Yeah. Yeah. Unbelief, obviously, yeah, that, and so what we're talking about through the Gospels here is the, it's the sin of unbelief, yeah. What do you think, Luke? What was that? Other gods, idolatry, yeah, yeah. Now we're going to go to the Ten Commandments. You were thinking about what makes God angry? Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Luke. <laughs> Stale donuts makes God mad. I get that. I can understand that. Thanks, Jeannie, for that deep answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you say, Ryan? Uh, damage to relationships? Indifference, like the lukewarm thing. Yeah, he hates generators. <laughs> yeah. Anybody? Else? What do you say, Jordan? Ooh. Yeah, it's like I've given you something, and it's right there. He said. He doesn't. He hates it when we don't understand our identity or embrace our our identity in Christ. It's like I've given you everything, yet you refuse to to walk in that. Yeah, I remember that morning. Yeah, I well, obviously, I totally agree with that because at that moment I was grieving for you. Yeah. 
And all of a sudden, it just made sense why the Holy Spirit would grieve. Yeah. Yeah, what do you say, Cindy? Welcome home. See, now you're getting into the theological side of it. Does God really hate anything because Christ has already died and forgiven us of all of our sins? And, you know, you can go down that that rabbit hole. You know what I'm saying? Just the relationship. He hates the influence of what makes our decisions. Hmm. We call that the power of sin. That's a big influence on our decisions. No one has said what I was looking for. The lukewarm, yeah, again. Uh, I think, what, what are you saying, Carmen? Justice. It's mercy, justice, and humility, yes. Right on. Oh, you're getting, you're getting so close right there. I believe that God detests religion. And hear, hear me. Hear me when I say that. I am not discrediting anybody else outside of this group. You may think that, oh, that's kind of a righteous statement that you're saying about this group, and that is not it at all. That is not it at all. But uh, religion kills, and nobody wants religion. And the difference for me is this. Somebody goes, well, what's the difference between what you have and what religion is, and I would say that the difference is just if I could literally what we've tried to do inside this framework of a ministry is remove everything that I used to do and have the word and have people and that's it. No, no other framework. We don't have a building. We don't have committees we don't have budgets we don't have it's just literally living life with people and teaching the word to me that's the that's as simple as we can make it and not to say that anybody else that's doing anything different is wrong i'm not saying that at all all right i'm just saying i believe jesus intended it for it to be a relationship between us and the father and then and the, i missed it us and the did somebody say that? Men on the, yeah, dilly dilly. Thank you. Uh, I I believe it was meant to be between us and the Father, and then us together. That's what so that's what you know. Doug's talking about what Luke's talking about this morning. Just the beauty of being together and living life in the midst of the chaos, the stress 
health issues, everything else, is that uh, we come together. And I only say all this because you're going to see it today, and it, this is the only downside of working through the Gospels is Jesus just, it's the whole thing against the Pharisees. Like all four Gospels just... The Pharisees, the Pharisees, the Pharisees, just you guys don't get this. And today, he hammers them like he's never done before. And he'll explain exactly what we're talking about. We're looking in Matthew chapter 22. We're still on Tuesday. We're still on Tuesday, the 12th day of Nisan in 30 AD of Passover week. Passover week. Jesus is going back and forth to Bethany and he comes back to the temple and he's teaching and disciples, his followers are around him and uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, even some Romans are around him and they're all listening to him and questioning him. They are what we call examining him, just drilling him with questions. Just last week they asked him, what about... Uh, the coins that have Caesar's picture on it. Give to Caesar what Caesar's and what is his, and give to God what is his. So they were asking about the government. Then the Sadducees asked this question about what happens when the resurrection comes and we're all in heaven and you may have been married several times. Who's your wife in heaven? He's like, you're not married in heaven. You're not married in heaven. Just individuals, you know who everybody is, but... There's not that relationship. And we get to a third question that says this. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with that question of the resurrection. You remember the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection and they always held it over the Pharisees. That one question they asked Jesus and finally Jesus answered it. And the Pharisees kind of snickered at the Sadducees. It says they... Uh, <clears throat> When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. Now they're on one team because both of them know it's necessary for them to finish this whole thing before the Passover comes on Friday. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? Now, that was a pretty common question that was obviously entertained by the Pharisees and the Sadducees throughout their theological discussions and their meetings at the well on Friday mornings. They wanted to know which law is most important. There were 613 laws, 24 of the, 248 of those were positive, and 365 of those were negative laws. And what they would do is they would have their discussions and they would begin to weight these different laws and rank them. Here's the heavy laws... And here's the lighter laws. And then they would make it a practice to follow the heavy laws rather than the lighter laws. Yet they would still hold everybody accountable for all 613 laws. And so now they're asking Jesus this question, which of these laws is the greatest? And you know the fallacy behind this whole thing is this is if you look at James chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For who, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. 
613 laws, and if you can't keep all 613, you are guilty. Right? There's not a single person in this room or on the face of this earth at any point in any time other than Jesus who obeyed all 613 laws. Jesus did. And it says, he said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Kids, listen to this. Kids, listen to this. Jesus is telling the most important commandment that you'll ever know. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. If you get that, you get that right there, you're good, you're golden. He's literally taken all the commandments right there, and he's folded it into one. Just love God. Just, how do you love God? Well, you, I guess you'd get to know him. You got to get to know him. The more you know him, the more you just fall in love with him. With all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Jesus has literally taken this passage from Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. It's a passage of scripture called the Shema. And he's quoting Old Testament. He just takes this, this commandment and he says, this is the most important. And then he says this. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's out of Leviticus 19.18. He's literally taken two commandments, one in Deuteronomy and one in Leviticus, and he says these are the top two. And honestly, if you do number one, number two happens naturally, right? If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, it's going to be natural for you to love your neighbor. It's going to be natural for you to even love your enemy. That's the crazy thing. He says, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. He's saying, every command that you have, 613, anything the prophets have said, is based upon these two things. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. You are good. If we have the right relationship with God we will have no problem with his commandments. See, I believe that love is the basis for obedience. And and that's part of religion. Religion says we have to be obedient. If we're Christians, if we're Christians, we have to obey God. We have to. But the, the real deal is if you love God, obedience is natural. It's not something I have to do. It just happens it just happens it's not something i'm required to do it's not my responsibility it's not my duty i don't have a list of things that i need to get done i just naturally obey them that that law right there is summed up in romans chapter 13 verses 8 and 10 and it's all based upon love if we love god we're going to love our neighbor And then I I skip to Mark chapter 12 because Mark chapter 12 is the parallel of this same passage we just read in Matthew, but he adds on to it a little bit more in chapter 12, verse 32. He says, Then the scribe said to him, You're right, teacher. 
one of the scribes, which would have been one of the Pharisees. You, you heard that right? One of the Pharisees said, you're right. Now, I sit there and say that, you know, God, Jesus, just to test the Pharisees, there were some Pharisees that came to know Jesus as the Messiah. Nicodemus was one of them. Joseph of Arimathea was one of them. And so we know that some Pharisees believed that Jesus was the Messiah. It says, you're right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one. And all the other Pharisees are looking at this dude like going, what did you just say? We're trying to nail this dude and you just told him that he was right. That Pharisee was pretty studly. He said, and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. What? Did you just say that in front of all the other Pharisees? You just said everything that Jesus said was true. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, you're going to die and you're going to be with God because you believe the Messiah. And watch this. And no one dared to question him any longer. They sat there asked three questions about the government. He said, give Caesar Caesar's deal. Asked about the resurrection. There's no marriage. And now they've asked this, what's the greatest command in relationship to family and friends? It's like they have covered all the relationships. Government with the Heavenly Father, with eternity, and now with family and friends. Those are just fundamental relationships. And then uh, we get to the next next section here, Matthew 22, verses 41 through 46, and Jesus turns the tables. This is one of my favorite, favorite things right here because as you know, uh, as as pastor whatever teacher i get asked questions all the time but i love to answer questions with a question and because i want you to think i want you to think i don't want to think for you i want you to process i want you to leave here today and process at lunchtime what we just talked about so let me jump back to uh, First Chronicles to set this next question up that Jesus is about to ask. In First Chronicles 17, just let me read to you for a second. Verse 3, it says, But that night the word of God came to Nathan. You remember Nathan in the Old Testament? Friends of who? David. He said, Go to David my servant and say, This is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. And we all know David didn't get to build the temple. It was his son Solomon that got to build the temple. So that came true. From the time I brought Israel out of Egypt until today, I have not dwelt in a house. Instead, I have moved from one tent site to another and from one tabernacle location to another. In all my journeys throughout Israel, I have 
have I ever spoken a word to even one of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people asking, why haven't you built me a house of cedar? Oh, wait, we're getting there. Verse seven says, so now this is what you are to say to my servant, David. This is what the Lord of armies says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock. He was a shepherd to be ruler over my people of Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a name for you like that of the greatest on the earth. I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. That hasn't happened yet. Evildoers will not continue to oppress them as they have done ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel. I will also subdue all your enemies. Furthermore, I declare to you that the Lord himself will build a house for you. When your time comes to be with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant, who is one of your own sons. I will establish his kingdom. Did you hear that? Did you hear that right there? I will raise up your descendant, who is one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will not remove my faithful love from him as I removed it from the one who was before you. I will appoint him over my house and my kingdom forever, and his throne will be established forever. He's talking about Jesus, right? He's saying Jesus is going to come from David. Nathan reported all these words in his entire vision to David. Now let's jump back to Matthew. Jesus has got the Pharisees in front of him. They've just nailed him with three questions. They quit asking him questions. And it says, while the Pharisees were together, Jesus questioned them. Yes, he's turning the tables. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? I've got a question for you. What do you all think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And remember what we've said, the Pharisees like to display their knowledge. They know the Old Testament. They know the Chronicles that we just read by heart. And they replied, David's. <laughs> David's. He asked them, How is it then that David, inspired by the Spirit, calls him Lord? The Lord. Now he's quoting a passage out of Psalm 110.1. He says, the Lord, and the Lord there is a Hebrew word for Jehovah. It says, the Lord, Jehovah, declared to my Lord. It's a different Hebrew word. It's Adonai, and it's Jesus. The Lord, Jehovah, declared to Jesus, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now, this was a verse that uh, was always interpreted to be referring to the Messiah. And Jesus has now turned it on them. Only the Messiah could sit at Jehovah's right hand. And he says in verse 45, If David calls him Lord, how then can he be his son? This wasn't a trick question. It wasn't a trick question. He just wanted them to think and to process. And in the, 
in the middle of the processing, maybe they're going to make the connection that, hmm, it could be both. If Messiah is David's son, Jesus asked, then how could Messiah also be David's Lord? There's really only one answer to that question. As God, Messiah is David's Lord. And as man, he's David's son. Right? As Messiah, he's David's Lord. But as a man, he's David's son. He is both the root offspring of David. Psalm 110.1 teaches the deity and humanity of the Messiah both. He is both David's Lord and David's son. And they're sitting there processing that right there. He can be both to David. He can be his son and be the Lord. You see, because two days, two days prior to this, this is the 12th day of Nisan. On the 10th day of Nisan, Jesus came in on a donkey. Remember that? And what was everybody saying? Hosanna, son of what? Son of David. Like literally the people had been yelling and screaming, son of David. He came from David. And the Pharisees were standing there and they heard all this. And Jesus knows that they heard this. And he's like, how can this be? Oh, I could be a descendant of David. And I can be the Lord at the same time. Amazing. The fact that he accepted that title is evidence that Jesus knew himself to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And as God, he was David's Lord, but as man, he was David's son. He was born from the family of David. Now, you think... uh, these Pharisees, when they thought about their Messiah, they really, they saw, they had two pictures of their Messiah. They had uh, what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, he was a suffering servant. Yet then there was also all the prophecy that talked about him being a conquering and reigning monarch, that he was going to be the superhero, that he was going to like protect them. Well, honestly, Jesus hadn't done any of that yet. He became a suffering servant where? On the cross. Friday. Three days later, he's going to become the suffering servant. When does Jesus triumph? When he raises from the grave on Sunday. This whole Messiah that they saw as a suffering servant and as a hero was yet to play out that week. And then it says, verse 46, no one was able to answer him at all. They all just stood there. Looked at him like, uh. And from that day, no one dared to question him anymore. At least until his arrest. And then he was questioned that night. Now watch this. Here's where we get into to see if I can get, how much I can get through this. He 
really denounced the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. This was his last public message. This is his last, what would you think Jesus' last public message would be to the crowd? You would think that it would be, oh, I love you, you know, I'm, here's what's going to happen. But man, he just busted the chops. And he's not busting your chops, he's busting the Pharisees' chops. Let's make that clear right here, all right? This is directly to the Pharisees. Matthew 23 says this, verse 1, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. You remember that when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and God gave him the Ten Commandments? He was in, that was the chair of the law. Well, now the Pharisees have taken the law and they've molded this law, added laws to it, and they've placed themselves in authority over the law. Wait a second. Did you hear what I just said? They place themselves. How do you know who is the leader? Hmm. Someone that places themselves into authority or someone who God places into authority? That's a big deal. Self-imposed authority or God-imposed authority? And you, you take that, that role of uh, the shepherd. The shepherd is like one of the lowest, lowest occupations that you could have, that, which is where King David came from. It's not a position of authority, but he's got control over his sheep. How does he control his sheep? He doesn't do it from an authority standpoint. What does he do? He loves his flock. He literally loves, he knows his flock so well. Every sheep. Okay, you got the story about the shepherd going looking for the one that's lost, right? The shepherd loves the flock. And this is not what's happened with the Pharisees. They've taken authority and they're trying to rule by authority. It says, therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. But don't do what they do. <laughs> he's got all the Pharisees standing around his disciples, and he's like, listen to what they tell you because they're telling you the law. They're telling you the law, but don't do it like they do it because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put on the people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. Jesus says what? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. They make it pretty darn heavy to obey the law. He says, they do everything to be seen by others. They enlarge their phylacteries. You know, a, a phyla- this, is how, this, is how, this is religion right here. This is, this is a perfect description of religion. This is what the, the Pharisees do. And my people that are going with me over to Israel, you're going to see, uh, you're going to see some Jewish people walking around with these, what we call phylacteries. They're, they take a leather bands and they have a box and they wrap it around. I think it's their left arm. They wrap it around and they also wrap it on their foreheads. And inside these boxes are God's word. 
And they literally, to this day, walk around with phylacteries tied to their body. You're going, that's weird. But you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, which we already started. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving to you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. They literally take the word of God and bind it to their forehead and to their hearts on the left side. Today. When we know that what's happened is that Jesus was crucified, he was buried, he rose again, he's sitting at the right hand of Jehovah, and now the Holy Spirit's come, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and we're able to sit here today in pinheads, open our Bibles, and be able to read the Bible because the Holy Spirit is living in us and interpreting what his word says. And I don't have to have it attached to my body to remember it. Because I have a holy living God inside of me that's teaching me this and interpreting it for me. Look, you can do the same thing that I'm doing. I'm not special. Well, I'm special, but you can do the same thing. You just read the word and trust the spirit in you. Figure it out. Hang out. Go to the well. Go to Panera. Go, just talk to people. When you lay down, when you walk the streets, just talk about God. Figure it out. They were that legalistic. He says, they loved the place of honor at banquets, the front seats in the synagogues, and to be called rabbi by people. But you're not to be called rabbi. You guys quit calling me rabbi. But you're not to be called rabbi because you have one teacher. And you all are brothers and sisters. Who's the one teacher? Jesus. Do not call anyone on earth your father. Ooh, here we go. Do not call anyone here on earth your father because you have one father who is in heaven. Don't call your pastor father. You are not the one to be called instructors either because you have one instructor, the Messiah. I'm not the teacher. He's the teacher. I trust the Spirit in every one of you that He's going to reveal to you today's message. I don't know what that looks like for you because the Spirit's in you. If I'm your teacher, you're in trouble. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now real quickly. He starts like flinging these things at the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces for you don't go in and you don't allow those entering to go in. In other words, you've rejected the Messiah and you're causing everybody else to reject the Messiah. And now nobody's going to heaven because of what you believe and what you're teaching them. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You devour widows, houses. Now, some, in some, I don't know if this passage is in that on the screen because some uh, translations omit this one passage for some reason. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You devour widows' houses and make long prayers just for show. This is why you will receive a harsher punishment. Taking advantage of widows was forbidden in the Old Testament, yet they chose to do that. Verse 15, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to make one convert when he becomes one, and you make him twice as fit for hell as you are. In other words, you're going out all over the, all over the world, and you're telling people that I'm not the Messiah, and you're causing them to go to hell. He says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever takes an oath by the temple, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gold of the temple is bound by his oath. Blind fools. For which is greater, the gold of the temples that sanctified the gold? Also, whoever takes an oath by the altar, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gift that is on it is bound by his oath. Blind people. He's like nailing these Pharisees. He says, for which is greater, the gift of the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, the one who takes the oath by the altar takes the oath by it and by everything on it. The one who takes an oath by the temple takes an oath by it and by him who dwells in it. And the one who takes an oath by heaven takes an oath by God's throne and by him and who sits on it. Look, the sanctified what they're saying here is you're saying the sanctified is greater than the one who sanctifies. All the product of doing these burnt offerings and everything else has made you into something special when really it's the person who covers the sin that's special. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, Mercy and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat and gulp down a camel. Like, you, <laughs> that's harsh. Jesus is just like left punch, right punch, left cross, right cross. He's like saying, you are majoring on the minors and forgetting the big stuff. How? How do you teach people to live by the Spirit rather than the law? That's a great question. Process that one at lunch. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. They had external righteousness, but they never focused on the heart. He's got two more woes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness literally in the spring they would go out and whitewash the tombs because if they touched them they would become ceremonially unclean but if they whitewashed them and they accidentally touched them they're not actually touching the tomb they're more concerned about whitewashing the tomb and become ceremonially unclean than just pursuing god and then, verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, eighth time. 
You build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if you had lived in the days of the ancestors, we wouldn't have taken part with them in the shedding of the prophet's blood. So you testify against yourselves that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then in the measure of your ancestors' sins. Snakes, brood of vipers. That's like curse words back then. How can you escape being condemned to hell? This is why I'm sending you prophets, sages, and scribes. Some of them will kill and crucify, and some of them will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. So all the righteous bloodshed on the earth will be charged to you. Oh, wow. From the blood of the righteous Abel, which is in Genesis, to Zechariah, which is in Second Chronicles and in in Jesus' day, Second Chronicles was the last book of the Old Testament. He's saying everything from the beginning to the end is going to be charged to you Pharisees. Their blood is on your hands. Verse 36, it says, Truly, I tell you, all these things, all eight things that I just mentioned, will come on this generation. Did it? Absolutely it did. We say it over and over again. 70 AD rolled around. The Romans came in. Killed 1.1 million Jews. Killed the Pharisees and that whole generation. Destroyed the temple. Everything. Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. History shows. It happened. What does God hate? Religion. That, my friends, is religion. Jesus is the deal. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is our Savior. He's the Lord of my life. The Lord means the boss. He's the boss of my life. Jesus, I thank you for being the boss of my life and living in me each and every breath. I pray that today as you unpack the word in the hearts of your people, that they can clearly see that you love them, that you care about them, and you don't care about playing games. You just want their heart. So Lord, uh, that's my prayer today. Thanks for, uh, thanks for loving us. Thanks for being here today with us and just watching over us. And uh, love you in Jesus' name. Amen.